Sometimes I feel so different. Sometimes I feel so weird. That's okay. Different is beautiful. And when I see you, I want to cheer. my inner white chick. Jessica and I and the whole TMI crew and the, most of the Radio Kingston crew yeah. on uh, Saturday night yes, at yes. BSP for our <sighs> annual, our fourth annual Voices in Action mm, benefit mm. and storytelling showcase. It was amazing. Amazing. I mean, so many great performances. Yes. So many amazing recipients it was like a, 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 a just a love fest between different nonprofit organizations mm-hmm. different leaders um i mean lots of prizes were given out yep the energy just the energy of the room was just amazing just the way everybody was just with everybody and it was just it was just a, a magical night like it, was, it is it was and it went off seamlessly without of a hitch. course i have to thank uh, again kale capuchillin and caitlin Yes. Yeah, it's important that we thank Caitlin Capuchillin because Caitlin is the one that is holding down the fort while Kale is out running around going yes, to Amsterdam, yes. heading to the red light district. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All over I the place. I guess where everybody does it in Amsterdam. He well, that's what they me. do. That's what it's, they, they do. Have this, and it's supposed to be a place, you know, everything's legal there. Uh-huh. And Kale was like, you know what's interesting? It's supposed to be a place of like where everybody's like, oh, we're liberated because we have this strip and everything's, you know, like the women supposedly are like this is a body positive like we're sex workers and we're that's what we want to do but kale was like but i got this sense that it was like kind of an exploitative mm. not super positive you know I, I think he just went for a walk down there he was there actually training to get a certification in some new uh technology okay that she'll be used here at radio Kingston. awesome awesome uh, i think that probably it'll make its launch in the new studios which uh will open I believe slated for spring 2020. Mm -hmm. We're going to expand. We are expanding. We're not contracting. No. And again, just thanks to Radio Kingston crew for the the tech the the tech crew that they provide. They just. (sighs) It is 
ultra professional. If you go to the Radio Kingston webpage, don't watch it now. Yeah. But the full stream is there. There was a great pre-show commentary with Erica Brown. Okay. Did you see that? It was like Entertainment Tonight walking the red carpet interviewing people. Well, I heard about it coming down, but I didn't see her. I met her outside talking about it. She was... She's awesome. amazing. I sent her a note today just being like, thank you so much for, uh, for what you did. Like, it just added another level interviewing uh, James Lacine, who's going to be joining us today, mm-hmm. was, was was interviewed. Uh, Eva was interviewed. She tried to grab me, but I got grabbed to take she photos. She tried to grab me. I'm going to have to talk to her about well, that. Well, tell to her edit to try to in. grab you next time. I'll throw my top on. We'll edit it in. <laughs> Because I, you know, I unveiled, screen, the, I unveiled the new vest at that show. New vest, yellow tie. We were looking good. We were looking smoking really, hot, really good. No, I we feel were like we we that. lit up the stage. We had our new uh, TMI project logo uh-huh. emblazoned on a, a step and repeat. That's a fancy thing that they, you take the pictures in front of. And there were some. Oh, I gotta share with you. There were some. I got a link to some of those photos. Oh, oh I can imagine. My God. Oh, there's, goodness. there's a lot of riffraff that happened. Um, <laughs> but it was it was amazing. And I want to, again, shout out our uh, Agents of Change recipients. We had um, Jeff Rindler from oh, LGBTQ Center. Great speech. Uh, our organization of the year was Rupco. Kevin O'Connor accepted uh, that award on my behalf favorite of bald white guy. You had He's, to be here. When he, we interviewed him, if you went back and listened to the show, he's, he's my new favorite <laughs> he's, bald white guy. He's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, Ubaka Hill, oh. drumming and for for years uh, uh, a leader among uh, women drummers. Yes. And also working with Percussion Orchestra of Kingston, who performed. Mm. Yeah, they did. And they were um, awesome. Did a her, great job. Her whole aura and her whole spirit and just her whole energy is just mm-hmm. crazy. Before you even start talking to her, you just feel it coming down on you. It's like a it's like a, a, a experience with her every time. You know, she was so moving. She made this speech that I actually am going to play at the end of today's show because it's very on point to the topic of today's show. We're going to have uh, James Lacine and Ryan Amador, who are the co-founders of the Future Perfect Project. Mm. A lot of good projects happening okay. around this part. So the Future Perfect Project, um, which works with uh, LGBTQ kids all across the country. We come. Right. We I'm saying we because I just joined uh, this crew. Okay, go into high schools all across uh, the United States for free, working with the LGBTQ kids or gay straight alliances. Um, to have them express themselves, express what they go through as young people, pushing up against the adversity that they sometimes, that we all face. Right. But they're facing it on that double tier of like being young mm-hmm. and not always getting a chance to have their voices heard because, oh, who wants to listen to the young people? Exactly. James Lacine decided, I want to listen to the young people because they are, they're perfect yep. and they're living in the future. Yep. They're living in a future that we don't see yet. So we yep. have a lot to learn from them. Um, and at the end of the show, I'm going to play the speech, uh, Ubaka Hill's acceptance speech for her uh, Agent of Change Award, which talks about investing in the youth yes. just full bore. So, yeah. And that's beautiful. Um, that It was absolutely beautiful. Um, Mr. Chris Wells. Oh, who's always amazing. <laughs> who's always, you know, it's not too many people that can make me speechless, but... Like every time I have an experience with him, I'm left speechless just for a moment. He he came out in maybe the best outfit. Yeah, no headdress, but the the he was wearing a onesie that didn't leave you guessing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was everything was in there and 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 ready to be just seen and heard. But I, but I felt like he was like a superhero, so I felt very protected. He was he he was 
he was awesome. He his speech particularly moved me. Let me tell you, I'm gonna drop something on you. You're gonna be a little bit jelly, but this All is right. how it goes. So he in his acceptance speech, he was the Voices in Action Award honoree for twenty nineteen. Right. The top prize he could take home. <laughs> he said, Bear with me when I do this, follow me. And I knew exactly what he meant. He said, I wanna thank Lizzo. I wanna thank Lizzo for teaching me that I can love myself no matter what, mm-hmm. even if nobody else does. And I wanna tell you, friend, Eva and I are going to see Lizzo tomorrow night. Come on! <laughs> Man, Radio Kingston. Let me tell you though, not Stop Radio it. Kingston, Radio City I'm, Music Hall. You see, I'm. If you're watching the live stream, I'm moving my weapon away from. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Out of reach. We we sat down. We've been talking about Lizzo for for a long time. I mean, she. Well, first she, to, to me who is Lizzo. In case people don't know. Oh, in case you don't know Lizzo, Lizzo is the queen of America. I don't know if we're, we are now a monarchy. Lizzo is the queen. Bay, queen Bay. I mean, Queen Bay has now stepped down. I'm going to say mm. to like you hey, know. That's uh, what it is. A, I just think Lizzo is a a woman musician artist flautist. She plays the flute. She's a pop singer. She's a rapper. She um, often gets labeled because of her size as like a, a body positive, uh, a pioneer, which she which she is. But it's not just about body positivity. She's about everything yeah. positivity, about loving yourself no matter what shape or size. She is sexy. Yep. She is funny as I all get her. out. I saw her on the BET Awards um, and I was in love right away. If you haven't heard Juice, she mm. twerks. She twerks oh, yeah. like nobody's business. Yeah, she she actually came out. In front of, we, I think we talked about this one show. Uh, there was a prop, a huge prop on stage. It was a, a, a big twerking bum behind her <laughs> and all the ladies that were dancing. And she just, she just she puts out there, Juice, a great song, um, Good as Hell. Mm. I, I mean, just the hits, never ending hits. Yep. And I, I feel like. Are we going to drop one of her hits see today? her. You know, I, I was thinking about it. I had a, I really spent a lot of time putting my, my schedules together uh-huh. because there's a lot I want to play. Because okay. we want to play a lot of clips. The kids that we worked All with right. in Minneapolis, we want to play some right. of their stuff. But if we have time, that might be good. Because I was thinking, what Lizzo song do I want to drop? And then I got just carried away with everything else. Right. Um, so, yeah, just uh, just good stuff. It was. Good stuff, kid. Now, one uh, reader among three, so Verna Gillis oh. was there. My good friend who we had on the show once, uh, Randy Romo. Yeah. Oh, my God. Randy. And I got to hang out with Randy a little bit afterwards because I was her, her ride She's, back to the yeah, hotel. Yeah, we saw. She is. Took her to the, to the t- Taco Bell. Isn't she something? Yeah. She She's is amazing. heart of gold. Her story is so amazing. She uh, was one of our participants in TMI Project's uh, Trevor Project collaboration called Lifelines. Uh, true stories, uh, LGBTQ stories of survival. And we flew her in from Arkansas. She read her story. Um it was absolutely beautiful mm. uh and we had the one and only who every everybody's decided this we had verna gillis who mm. everybody's decided needs to have uh, a, a recurring spot on every late night show everything needs to tour the yeah. country they just need She's, to give her her netflix series they, or she something. needs it she we needs it. need it i just i love her every single time yeah. i see her and her her she's hysterical people went goo goo gaga over her she is and it's her delivery she mm. doesn't that's the thing about her i think a tour for her would be easy she just wakes up she smokes a bowl or two or three because she four. smokes uh-huh i can't wait to go to when dinner she first with her. got there she was like <laughs> 
could you get me a water? And then five minutes later, she was like, I, do you have a seltzer? And then at one point, Randy had a drink and she was like, what is that? Randy, may I? She was just guzzling, but she, she got up there and she knows that piece almost by heart. Oh yeah. Folks, you got to watch that live stream later. It is the, the whole night. And, and one thing I really wanted to highlight because I, I got to see this woman. Her name is uh, Maiko Hato. Oh, I love she her. She is a jazz singer and mm-hmm. a resident over at the Lace Mill. Uh, in, now, uh, that in part Kingston. I didn't know. Yeah, that's where I first saw her read a couple of years ago. And she reads a story about being a very young woman uh, in the United States and meeting a guy and getting pregnant right when she's starting college. By the mm-hmm. time she's 21, taking a huge course load of classes. Oh, yeah. 20 credits taking care of her child every day not i don't understand how the determination she had she talks about it in her story which you can watch on the live stream just she had this un unbending determination to make sure she was taking care of herself and just showing up for that kid as much as possible in the midst of a very abusive relationship yeah. and all the while you know, while she's improvising her life, she's falling in love with improvisation of jazz and yeah. jazz music. And she tells her story about how she becomes um, a jazz singer and ends up going on tour. She ends up leaving that relationship. It's a beautiful story. So and an amazing jazz singer she am- is. Amazing. Amazing. Oh my goodness, that's so, the second time I yeah. saw her. So before. Nick, I wanted to play a little song here. After uh, Michael read her piece, she um, graced the stage with a, a guitarist friend of hers who accompanied her. And this is um, her singing. Before before we listen to Michael, though, we will be back soon with um, with. Uh, oh no! No, actually, we're not gonna. We're gonna come right back from Michael because I forgot I want to play Jeff Ringel's clip. But okay. in the meantime, enjoy the sultry sounds of Miss Michael Hato. have to have the moon in the sky my romance doesn't need a blue lagoon standing by no month oh may no twinkling stars no hideaway no soft it ties my romance doesn't need a castle rising in Spain. What is to a constantly surprising refrain? Wide awake, I can make my most fantastic dreams come true. My romance doesn't need a thing but you. Do 
my roommates doesn't have to have a moon in the sky my romance doesn't need a blue lagoon standing by no month all may no twinkling stars no hideaway no soft guitars my romance doesn't need a guess so rising in Spain no witness to a constantly surprising refrain wide awake I can make my most fantastic dreams come true my romance doesn't need a thing but you my romance doesn't Yes, indeed. Mm. Her romance doesn't need a thing but me. You know, well, I mean? that was Maiko uh, Hato uh, performing at the 2019 Voices in Action Benefit and Storytelling Showcase, singing smooth jazz tunes for us. One of the amazing performers that night. And we also got to recognize some really great leaders that we talked about earlier um, who are making an incredible difference in this community. As I said, it was a, like a nonprofit love fest yes, over there. Um, and one of those folks was uh, Mr. Jeff Rindler, the executive director over at the LGBTQ Center in Kingston. And he, I wanted to play this little clip because it's going to um, be the uh, this jumping off point for what we're going to talk about with the Future Perfect Project. Um, about He went to a conference, uh, an LGBTQ Center director's conference mm-hmm. in, uh, in California, and this question was posed. Let's play that clip, Nick. So I'm part of a, a group of LGBTQ executive directors called Center Lake, and we have a summit every year. And the question this year, and I even wrote it down, that people were asking, are LGBTQ centers still relevant today, given the LGBTQ community is so assimilated and accepted within mainstream America? First of all, are you fucking kidding me? Who wrote this? So to answer this question, are we becoming obsolete? What I can say is we've tripled our programs for LGBTQ youth because they need a safe place to go. Tripled. And uh, kids, kids, kids need a safe place to go. And um, we're going to hear some stuff about our community coming up, uh, some promos from Nick. But then we're going to come back with the one and only Mr. James Lucene and Ryan Amador, co-founders of the Future Perfect Project, um, which I am a recent member of. And we go around to um, high schools across the United States working with LGBTQ folks and allies. So let's hear what's going on in our community. We're here a song and we're going to come back with the Future Perfect Project. Stick around.
Yes, mm. yes, Queen. That was um, Perfume Genius yes. with the song Queen from the album Too Bright. I uh, started watching the documentary Wig last okay. night on HBO about the uh, founding of Wigstock, uh, which Lady Bunny was very uh, fundamental in. And this song just jumped out at me and I wanted to amplify it because that's what I want to do. I want to be amplifying my community. Um, so I want to just read a quick uh, statistic for you guys um, from USA Today, June 28th. Um, hate crimes against mm. LGBTQ folks have been on a slight rise over the past three years, uh, according to FBI data. While most hate crimes in the U.S. are motivated by bias toward race and religion, the number of crimes based on sexual orientation rose each year from 2014 to 2017 when 1,130 incidences were reported excuse me reported and of those a majority targeted gay men i want you all to hear a quick clip from a recently made friend of mine this is will a high school student in minneapolis and he um, illustrates this kind of bias in a recent poem he wrote it's called rivers and seas i am will i'm 16 and the title of my piece is rivers and seas all alone in an ocean of hate never feeling quite in my place a raging sea full of people irate, screaming faggot right into my face. I ask myself, what did I do to deserve this? To them, I'm a creature of sin. And that's when I began to feel remiss. I realized I'll never fit in. The rivers of anger that flow through their minds etch thoughts deep into their heads. The rivers poison them and make their eyes blind. They wish to see me dead. They beat me, bruised me, hurt me, in body, mind, and soul. I realized then that their hearts were darker than the blackest lump of coal. And as the blood flowed like rivers from my nose and then my mouth, I realized the only way for me to live was to transfer here to South. That was 16-year-old student Will, uh, who had an opportunity to express how he comes up against the present-day intolerance uh, in the world uh, directed toward LGBTQ folks and um, how transferring to a high school, South High School in Minneapolis, was the first step in helping him be seen, heard, and loved. Now, I have recently become part of an amazing organization that is providing the opportunity to amplify the voices of young LGBTQ and othered folks. And here to talk more about it are the co-founders, James Lacine and Ryan Amador. They're going to tell us about the Future Perfect Project. Welcome, James and Ryan. Welcome. Tell us about the project. Tell our, our listeners about the project. How did it get started? What's it all about? So, you know, I'm also the co-founder of The Trevor Project, which is the 24-hour suicide prevention and crisis intervention lifeline for LGBT and questioning young people. And that's been around for about 20 years. And um, so over the 20 years, I've been, you know, I always go into schools and listen to kids and listen to what they have to say so I can understand what's happening. But I started to notice something shifting um, maybe about uh, three years ago and that I'd never seen before in young LGBT uh, plus and allies. And, and that is that they had a kind of confidence and uh, a social justice component. They seemed really well informed. They understood history in a different way. They, they saw you know, that there were people that had come after, that people were gonna come after them and they also saw that there had, pe had been people been there before and they understood something about their own history, which I'd never seen in any generation of queer youth. So um, I just wanted to spend more time with them. They really 
turn me on. And I thought, well, let's, you know, give them the opportunity to actually speak their truth. And I reached out to Ryan and I suggested that we start traveling around the United States to see if in fact it was happening everywhere, like in the middle of cornfields and um, in high schools and, you know, Washington State and uh, North Carolina and New Arkansas, Mexico. <laughs> New Mexico yeah. and, uh, you know, Ohio, Iowa. Like we just kept going everywhere to see if in fact um, this this real revolution was happening. And we were astonished to find that. And even in some of the tiniest cities in the middle of cornfields were the most active GSAs or, you know, gender and sexuality alliances, you know, the clubs in high schools, that they were the most active because that's where the kids needed uh, the support most. Mm -hmm. So we named ourselves the Future Perfect Project and um, gave young people an opportunity through true storytelling and uh, songwriting to be able to express their vision of the future. Can you tell the listeners quickly about the name? I, I love this. The, at the beginning of the workshops, you tell the story um, about yourself that really ties into why it's called Future Perfect Project. Well, you know, when I was 15, this is usually how we start all the workshops with them <laughs> to get them talking about their experience. Um, when I was 15, uh, homosexuality was considered a crime a mental disease and a sin. And that's how I grew up. You know, I grew up with thinking that that was what people thought about homosexuality. When I became aware of the fact that I was gay, I thought to myself, okay, well, that's just crazy. That's just crazy talk. And I didn't go around telling people that because I didn't want to get killed. But I, I just thought to myself, that's crazy. They're talking about my love, like my ability to love. And what I'm naturally moved to do in the world. So I just knew it wasn't true, but I didn't say anything. And I just had this deep belief that like, well, it'll, they, they gotta wake up someday. And of course now it's taken us 50 years and here we are and we're not fully there, but enough so that these young people of today can get together in schools and clubs and you know they can go to LGBT youth centers and. And I'm astonished that they exist in the diversity that they do. So I started to think, well, if if I was 15 and it took 50 years for that to change, then maybe I was living in the future that hadn't yet arrived. Mm. And if that was true, then maybe the kids today are living in a future that hasn't yet happened. Mm -hmm. And so they're uncomfortable because they're living in a world that is not of their making. And it doesn't match their internal GPS yeah. in terms of what's true. So what Ryan and I do is we start off by asking them, well, tell us, where do you come up against the normative? Where do you, what do you see when you look around and say like, this is not right. And they're so deeply moral. They have such a deep, deep sense of morality, and they're so just and so fair, and, and, and with themselves and with others, that all you have to do is listen to them and be reminded of what it means to be a human being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so, in the, you know, aside from just the personal storytelling and the kind of sharing that happens uh, verbally, Ryan, you're a big part of um, 
shaping the outcome of the, of the workshops, which are artistic expression and not just, I mean, you're, you specialize in music and songwriting, but mm -hmm. it's not just that. There's different mediums. There's art, there's spoken word, there's dance, there's instrumental music. Um, talk about how that aids in this process of them discovering their voices. We've always said, and we tell them this when we meet them, that they're artistic expression, their self-expression is a declaration of the future. So I think James and I, as I always say, we're autobiographical artists, like both of you are too. Um, and I think for us, we were able to pass on those tools so that they can get, because when you, when you try to talk about what's inside you and what James is saying, the future that's inside them, it doesn't completely encompass the emotional experience, the feeling of it. And so I think we believe that that by making art, by making songs and poems, and we've even had movement at some points in, in the last two years, that by making art, it's expressing the whole of what's inside them and just speaking that, putting that into the world and making it happen, that future outside them mm -hmm. starts to form. Yeah, totally. And they, and they have such... Let's talk about a week-long process because the Future Perfect Project does day-long things. And, you know, I just was so grateful to join you both in Minneapolis for my first workshop. And um, talk about the, kind of the layout of it, how it, how it works, because it culminates in uh, – we're going to hear some examples. I mean, r remarkable writing and beautiful, beautiful work. Well, I think that, the, you know, the beginning of it is so important because by asking them that question – about where do you come up against the normative and, and, and what do you see with your 2020 vision? Like what future do you envision for yourself and for people like you? And it gets them thinking in a, in a, in a, in a deep way and then we open it up and they basically we have a conversation but it's mostly them talking to us. And when a person knows that they're valued and that what they think is important and and valid and they're not being dismissed and that they actually know their own experience, they're experts in their own experience, it just opens up like a channel. And then we begin to actually create the, the, the creative work. Yeah, and so in a five-day workshop, we'll start with that on day one, which also establishes a safe space for them or a brave space as a lot of mm -hmm. them want to say now. Um, I like and, that. Yeah, it's yeah. great. And in that space, we really, we try to be flexible to the group that we meet. So we've, we've had so many different versions of what happens next. And also it changes with the times. Like right now, this week when we were in Minneapolis, we did focus on, you know, the climate and the climate mm -hmm. strike, which was last Friday. And that's not always the case. We're, we're really responding because we're doing social justice work with stories and these young people. We're, we're responding to what's happening in the world. It would be crazy to be blind to that right um and they're not blind to it they're exactly. alert to it yeah. so we're just responding to their uh their prompts mm -hmm. yeah and mm -hmm. then we let them sort of tell us what kind of art they want to make sometimes we keep it if if they're less experienced with art making they'll stay in in groups more so they have the support of each other if they're more experienced like the school we were just with we'll we'll give them like we'll they can do it in solo or in duos. That seems to be flexible. And then 
when we have the opportunity, which is not always the case, will culminate in a live performance where this micro community that we've just created for the week can speak out to their, com their greater community, which might be other classes, other students in school. Um, we haven't yet had like a parent show up showing, which mm. would be amazing, but it gives them a chance to like show this work. And it's just been so moving when that happens. Yeah. And now we're moving into, with Julie's help and the help of Radio Kingston, um, moving into recording that so that, that they can speak out to a community even wider than their geographical surroundings. Yeah, and it's so, well, go well, ahead. I was just going to say that one of the exciting things is to be able to, sh you know, Ryan and I have been doing this for two years, but to be able to share it with people like they, what, what we've been experiencing, I think the only way you can really experience it is to, like, hear their work. Hear yeah. their work, and, and that's a, a great lead-in. Um, you know, it's not just working with kids around LGBTQ issues, but it's around working around all the other crazy issues. I have another uh, stat here from the JSTOR website. Um, consistent with the defended community's model, anti-black hate crimes are most common in homogenous white communities with strong community identities undergoing recent black in-migration. Um, you know, we have we had a couple of students of color in there. Uh, there was a woman named Zarea who was just quite amazing, who uh, read her piece about um, being judged by the color of her skin. I, I'd like to play that clip right now, Nick. I'm Zarea. I'm 15 years old, and this is called She's Pretty for a Black Girl. When I was younger, I was at the mall with my mom. It was winter. By this time, my summer tan was long gone. I was trying on this red beret, and I was looking in the mirror to see if I liked it or not, when I hear this old woman trying to talk to me. She says, that hat looks really good on your dark skin. You're really pretty for a black girl. At this time, I took this as a compliment. I didn't fully grasp the fact that she had put a group of black girls together in her head and categorized them as automatically being ugly. She put them in a box. Growing up, I was very fair. I had green eyes and red hair. People would literally ask me, whose kid I was to my parents. At home, I was the lightest person in my house. I wanted to be darker. But as I got older, there was this shift in people I was around. Growing up, I went to a dominantly white school and would often be one of the few people of color in my class. Kids had this perception that black isn't beautiful. People, classmates or otherwise, would literally tell me that I was lucky to be my skin color because if I was a slave, I'd get to work inside the house. At home, this was pretty much reassured by my brother and sister, saying I was either pink or yellow. Growing up and hearing this from family and people at school is really tough. It's like I'm putting, put into this box of being too dark or not dark enough. I get putting, put into this box of having to be one thing and still fit into multiple people's definitions of that same thing. Whether that be being a queer person, a person of color, or a female. I'm not one exclusive thing. I'm an intersectional being. I can still speak with good grammar, dress a certain way, be in theater and like the things I do, and still be black. Being put into boxes had made me, has made me not want to explore things around me. I was so scared to step out of my comfort zone for the sake of what other people thought of me for a long time. I wanted to stop trying because I was worried what other people would think about me. Societies makes assumptions about people, people and their culture, and we all pay the price. You may think that my name sounds ghetto, but you don't know where it comes from, or who gave it to me, or even why they did. You just made an assumption before you even met me. You put me into a box of not being enough. I'm not white enough, and I'm not black enough either. 
You may think that I act white or am pretty for a black girl, but really I'm just Zaraya. I'm absolutely myself in every way, and I'm done letting people put me in boxes. That was Zaraya from yeah. South High School talking about Snapping. her experience. So, Ryan and James, let's talk about, um, you know, each workshop has these this intersectional uh, intersectionality to it. Like, how, what are you finding are, um, how typical are stories in terms of what the kids are sharing the most about their experiences or, um, you know, hearing Will's story? Like, have you heard that story before as well? Have you heard Zarea's in a different spoken in a different way. You know, I think one of the things that really was striking to me was that, you know, after working, you know, for some years as a lifeline counselor for the Trevor Project, where many young people were calling in with stories of crisis and bullying and, you know, and, and real mental health issues. And, you know, what was so incredible to me was to see the shift that's taking place with some support from their peers and from their teachers and from their parents and community centers and GSAs, like what's possible? It, it started to, it, it, it's a shift, right? So I think that with a little bit of support, and it, I think it's important to point out that Will came from a school that was completely non-supportive. He had to move his state to come to um, South High. And his parents, you know, made it possible for him to actually be in a school where he could get support. This was really his first couple of weeks at this school. He, um, so he needed to tell that story. Mm -hmm. But most of the other young people who are in these clubs, you know, they, they have the benefit of having received some support. So they're able to look out and say, who else is not supported, mm -hmm. right? Oh, the earth. Yeah. Oh, women. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, black people, you know, like they're able to actually understand as a marginalized person uh, the difficulties that other marginalized communities have. That's different. Mm -hmm. That is something that's happening everywhere. And it's really exciting to me to see this light bulb go on in, a, in young people. Um, you know, and especially in young people so young. Yeah, and the power of the group is so, um, it's so palpable, especially by the end of it. And um, I'm going to play a little bit later um, talking about Will again, like, which I was just so moved by his experience because he's this new kid. He joined um, the Future per Perfect Project workshop a couple days in. Mm -hmm. And there's a clip that we're going to play of him with his new community singing with this beautiful mm -hmm. voice, creating this absolutely gorgeous four-part harmony with three young women who are now part of his tribe like <laughs> yeah. at school who will carry him through and i wanted to pull up um and i only have it on my phone right now but there was let's talk a little bit about ezra our young friend ezra who um who i one of the comments that one of the first comments that he had given um it was maybe the third day in the workshop, we were doing a writing session, and I was asking people, how do you feel? Does it make you feel like you can share more with the group here? Is there a safe feeling of safety? And he was like, I feel like everybody in here now is my best friend. Yeah. Um, and he sent me a message on, on my way home. He said, I thought of an idea you guys could do for more Future Perfect projects. Maybe take a picture with everybody beforehand and compare it to the picture at the end of the week or whatever, because I felt pretty nervous at the beginning 
But I loved it at the end. And I think a before and after picture would show that really well and also let people see that they had changed. The pictures could also be really influential on social media and outreach because people could see just from two pictures of faces how incredible the program is. Mm, but getting so that note was, was so awesome. Like, you know, it, it's, it's just, there's just something about... And we talked about this, the three of us talked about this, creating a space, even if it is for a couple hours, for for youth who are ready to talk, who need to talk. And in school all day, they're surrounded by a lot of well-meaning adults, but it's who, who have a, a curriculum to follow and can't they can't have those conversations. So opening that up, and, and the next student I want to talk about is, is Liam, who um, was someone who... That was an incredible uh, experience for there were four Jewish kids in that room who didn't know that each other were Jewish. Who no, they dealt, thought they were the only Jew who, in, in the school. Who had dealt with anti-Semitism. And also, um, I want to talk about Liam for a minute. And again, I just like to, you know, to just to go with a few stats. I just think it's important, again, reflecting back to Jeff's statement about, um, you know, queer being so assimilated, like what the state of the world is. And. You know, I have this this uh, clip of uh, this um, uh, article that I found on CNN that um, that talks about uh, anti-Semitic uh, attacks and um, targeting being eighty-one percent uh, or eighteen percent higher um, in this past year. And uh, the article starts off as the rock was smashed into his face. The attacker's words hit Rabbi Abraham Gopin almost as hard. He said, "Jew, Jew." Gopin recalled in an interview with WCBS, it was hate, the rabbi added. The attack broke his nose and knocked out two teeth. Um, And this is happening every day, everywhere, Um, not just in New York City where this happened, but in in Minneapolis and and across the world. And um, so Liam got a chance in his share to talk about the way uh, that he gets pushed that the world pushes up against him and um he talks about the anti-semitism uh let's play that clip nick throughout my years but especially recently i've um taken for being jewish um it hasn't always been directed at me personally but it sure felt like it had unfortunately a lot of the marginalization i've experienced has been from friends and acquaintances who thought it was okay um there have been times when i let it slide and then felt pretty bad afterwards and there have also been times where I reacted in a way that made my friends feel uncomfortable and I got immediately shut down by them. For example, uh, one time I was playing Cards Against Humanity with um, a group of people and someone played the Auschwitz card and I physically reacted like I got short of breath and um, I didn't feel good at all. Um, and the person who played it uh, actually was a friend that I've known since second grade. Um, and I. I just, I wasn't, I was mad, but when I told him that he should use better judgment, I was calm and collected because I knew that's how I needed to be, but it obviously wasn't enough um, because he proceeded to tell me that the Holocaust happened a long time ago and I shouldn't be upset because I need to move on. So basically just same as always. Um, And after the game was done, I saw the Auschwitz card when no one was looking and I ripped that motherfucker up and threw it in the goddamn trash. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Well said, Liam. Now, Liam also was a student, I mean, after the first day, James, that he came up to you 
Do you remember the and said yeah, something after about the first day, not said, realizing how how angry he still was about things, but also about being in the space and how. Yeah, I think it was really you know I think what's so helpful about this about the safe space is that you know somebody like Liam can actually feel how they feel because there's no room for it in their in their lives. There's no safe space to be able to feel their own feelings. So he at the first day he got in touch with some anger and um, in a really healthy way and was able to express it. And then after it was over, he came up and he said, this is like the most important experience of my life mm. or something like that. It was like so, <laughs> it was some, sounds like something I would say. No, um, it was something <laughs> like that, that he's, I mean, he was really like taken. Yeah. And seeing that happen is, I just, it's just, it's everything. And yeah. everything. You, know, you could see in each one of these young people, you could see that there was something was waiting to blossom, right? Mm -hmm. Like their oh, true yeah. self is underneath there. And the thing I was gonna say before is that everywhere we go, the teachers or the moderators are like really astonished because they've never heard their kids talk like this. Yeah. Like they're like, wow. oh, I had no idea they were going through this. And so that to me is a you know a testament of the creative work and how important it is that the arts are in these young people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. And and we were really fortunate. I mean, we worked with a group of kids that were pretty solidly theater kids. Um, and their liaison, their student advisor, uh, Stephen. I don't remember Stephen's last name, but he was he was there with us. He was so helpful, um, and he provided two guitars, and we were able to find a beautiful. Out, a little slightly out of tune piano downstairs <laughs> yeah. in a little black box theater. And so I wanted to, um, and so Liam and another student, Noah, who are both Jewish and both found each other, um, got paired together in their duo, and they created a song called Avoid Tone, and I want to share that with y'all right now. Uh, my name is Liam, and I'm 15. My name is Noah, I'm 16. And this is our piece, Avoid Tone. Thank you. 
That was Noah and Liam from South High School with Avoid Tone. That was really cool what they did, which was side by side at the piano, um, just playing together, improvisation, but making sure they included very cleverly this klezmer chord progression, which is inherently a Jewish uh, musical tome. So, and I just want to say, like, it 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 was on them to take out words. Like, there, there's very much. Not, like they were encouraged to sort of turn some text they had written into song. And when the two of them came together, the most honest expression they could come up with was not words, no words. So I, I just found that so amazing and so courageous in a setting like that too. Yeah, they really, I think, I feel like all the students held so true to themselves. We're going to hear more stories and more work. Um, but I, I just everybody too like I th- those were pr- that was a private recording but the kids all premiered their little pieces in front of each other and like the the support and like the yeah and like the crazy excitement was just it was just so 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 awesome and I, I just want to say that this is really Ryan's brilliance in terms of what he's able to get these young people to produce like mm-hmm. and, and in a very seamless way like that I think it's so beautiful to see them work together and he has such a brilliant way of like actually getting them to um, access that part of them even when they don't know that they're songwriters or theater kids or like even when they're like I don't know how to write a song and he actually shows them that they do yeah and also you did this at least you said this that was the first time you did it some really beautiful visualization work where I think it was after they wrote their initial free write you had them all lay back and and picture um holding the the energy of that and transforming it and i think that was really moving too because you could see them take their reading and then a second like you had them take one line from it and say that line and then after the visualization exercise they delivered it with more purpose and more focus and then i think it was great to lead them into the duos and just it became more and more cohesive um such great work if you're just joining us we are talking with ryan amador and James Lacine about F- the Future Perfect Project. Um, if you want to see a little more detail, you can go to thefutureperfectproject.org. Um, right now, we're going to take a little break to hear some more about what's going on in the community. We're going to hear a song from Ryan Amador. And then we're going to come back. We're going to talk with James and Ryan more about uh, the Future Perfect Project and about the climate strike that they got to go on yeah. with the kids in Minneapolis. So stick around. People around me are at war with themselves They don't hear the sirens over their words Throwing opinions instead of asking for help But there is no good in shouting when you want to be heard Try a little kindness, it's all we need
that we're talking with anger and blame It don't make peace the object, it only divides Keep trying to win our conversations again But there is no need to fight We're all on the same side this world be a lot better if we all tried a little bit just a touch of kindness that was ryan amador oh, who it, happens to be right here with us i'm here live and in person <laughs> and um, it would be even better if we didn't try but we just did it we just yeah, did exactly. it yeah. forget the trying sage advice from mr james lacine james and ryan are co-founders of the future perfect project yep. uh which i recently got to jump on board with nice and work with we work with these young people uh for uh, five days well it was four days in, um, and you were amazing. It was so it was good. awesome. We you were in took Minneapolis. To it so naturally, it, it felt very natural. And you know, we were coming uh, at it through a queer lens, as you had said to me one, once before. Because we usually, at, at this point, have been working with LGBTQ and allies, um, but we're not just dealing uh, with those issues. We're also dealing with issues of identity all across the board, whether it's uh, being Jewish, whether it's being black and brown. Um, a citizen of the earth. A citizen of the earth, and not always just issues that are uh, internal about our feelings and our strife as individuals, but um, also big global issues such as climate change. And um, the the strike was Friday um, that uh, you guys were able to go to. I went back a little bit early, but um, the students also were given on, I think, Wednesday. Did we give them the opportunity to talk and write about uh, climate change and so some of the kids uh, decided to write about somebody that wasn't on board with trying to help the earth and other kids um, wrote pieces that were more of like a love letter to the earth and I just before we talk about that experience I had to share um, at the beginning of this segment we talked about Will a young student named Will who had just come into the group 
um, a gay uh, young man who left another school in Wisconsin um, really wanted to find a group of people. And um, this is a little song clip. I got to record some of the kids during their process. Um, he's with his group uh, featuring uh, Louise, Helena, and Anna. And they're practicing this original song they wrote, which uh, in this case is a love letter to the earth. Let's hear that little clip, Nick. Is it this verse first and then the chorus and then... Mm-hmm. Let's do the purple writing first. Yeah, yeah. purple first. That that's our solid one. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so verse, chorus, first, chorus, starting with that one. Okay. So let's try the right. I am so sorry for everything we've done. Let's remove the virus. The fight is still not won. I wish that I could love the same way that you can. Mother, I promise I will. Fight for your life's Oh my, did you just hear that? <laughs> okay. That, I, <laughs> that that was just one amazing moment of just these four kids in the hallway having worked on this. I don't even like I mean, an hour. It was just it was crazy. And that was happening all throughout uh the upper the second floor that we were on, I think. Yeah. Um it was amazing. So James, it was really important to you that you brought up uh, when we first got there. Like, let's let's ask this kid. Let's bring the uh, climate change into it. Talk a little bit about why that felt so important. I mean, which is kind of obvious, but just let's talk about that a little bit and and the way the question was posed. Well, you know, I think for most of the young people that we work with, it's the most pressing issue. You know, it means it really is about the rest of their life and. You know, they look around and they don't see us actually taking action. And I think the climate strike was a moment on Friday worldwide for, what was it, 4 million people around the world, um, 250,000 in New York, downtown New York, Manhattan. And, um, and you know, in one year, what 16-year-old Greta Thunberg has been able to actually make happen and, and is – it's just incredible. And and shows these young people the power of of being able to use your voice, right, and amplify an issue, even as a young person. Yeah, even as a young person, and in some ways, even even more so. Like, and, and for them, it's really imperative because their very existence is on the line, and it's created a lot of anxiety in within them. So, being I, I've just felt like I knew they were going to the the climate march on Friday. And Ryan and I talked about it, and we thought, well, let's just get them talking about their relationship to the issue and see where they are on a personal level. And it was really, um, you know, they were, there, was a lot of, there were a lot of things, like just the school's permission, letting them out of the school or not. There was a lot of back and forth about that. Um, but I think as that work, the finished product of that is so amazing. The lyrics for it are just incredible. But they all were able to express something that was deeply personal. And I think it was directly related in some way to their relationship to being queer. Mm-hmm. Because they understand what it's like to be overlooked, um, not paid attention to, and uh, sort of like not given the space to have a voice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was really well expressed by, we're going to talk um, about Cor, uh, a young trans man mm-hmm. who was in the group, and um, and feeling 
forced into into a box and um, not always heard. And yeah, we're going to talk about that more, which I which I thought was really eloquently um, put by him. Um, what were some of the highlights at, at the actual march? How did it go for you guys? Were you able to meet up and well, was amazing. Stephen? And how'd you how'd you meet up with the kids? How did you coordinate it? Yeah, we drove Stephen, who's a new the new theater teacher uh-huh. at South High, who helped us arrange it, and then we we miraculously bumped into our whole South High crew without even trying <laughs> wow. to. And then we, I, I know I felt this way. I think James did too. We just felt like they were they were in the lead. It was a youth climate strike. Um, and so they, they, you know, we tried to just be there for them. I even brought them all LaCroix, LaCroix, <laughs> and they seemed delicious. to appreciate it. And uh, the speakers were amazing, um, just rallying the crowd through and through, and everyone was so supportive of them. And, and also, you know, the, the rally, as Ryan said, was, was really organized by young people. But all the speakers were indigenous, black, brown, Latinx. You know, it was really, and all like 16 years old, and they yeah. were all so articulate. And I think for me what was so moving was that people, young, the young people who organized it made sure that the indigenous and black and brown voices, which are often silenced in the climate culture um, got to speak and and since they are the people who are on the front lines of everything that's happening yeah I mean that's such a good point and so relevant to a couple things one is that I was talking to Jimmy and here in Kingston and Hudson Valley area um, there was also a climate strike that students went walked out on in uh, Woodstock Day School Um, predominantly white upper-class kids 50 students I think walked out None from Kingston High School, zero. Um, and I wanted to ask you first, what was the um, kind of the demographic that you all noticed in Minneapolis? I'm assuming probably a bit more diverse, A. And B, we will be working with Kingston High School. And I wondered, because you guys worked with Kingston High School last year, um, were students of color able to show up and, and have their voices heard? And if not, what do you all think about about that um, aspect of of, of which is somewhat problematic. I just wonder. Look, you know, we were on the on the state capitol <clears throat> steps in St. Paul, right? And so all the kids had to come there, and some of them got there, and but the the crowd was predominantly white, and um, you know that is the next phase of the movement, which is to actually engage people you know, in those communities to have it so that they know that it's safe to come and to be, you know, and to give them the means to come if they don't have the means and to to know that they're welcome and their voices are, you know, need to be heard. Mm-hmm. And I think that the young people really understand that they just have a in sense like we need to make this happen. So I think that was the first step. I think this is not the first. This is not going to be the last march that we oh, see. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, today they're you know world leaders are meeting at the climate uh, summit at the UN, and there are you know demonstrations out in front of the UN, and the pressure's on. Mm-hmm. And and young people, I think the overriding message was we're not stopping. Mm-hmm. This is just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. What um, and and now getting into Kingston High School, what was what was the experience like last year, and what might happen this year with with the kids, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is coming up? I think the first couple weeks of we October. Were, we were like so beautifully supported by Amy Capus. Oh, yeah. what's, yeah. what's her title? She's queen of the world. Queen of the world. She's a school social worker, uh, but that might not be the, the exact title. The but I think that's so dry for what she yeah. is. I know. She, she's like the. She's like. 
you know, she loves those young people so deeply yeah. and takes care of them so well. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we worked with a um, with the the GSA, uh, the Gay Straight Alliance, and um, it was. And then at the end of the week, we were able to. Pr- they were able to present their work. So to, it wasn't to the to an assembly. Oh, so that's right. That's was, right. They, that was a case where they could bring it to. It, how how many kids uh, came to the assembly? Um, it was probably like six large classes. Oh wow! And so and it wasn't the official. The GSA meets once a week after school. We we actually pitched it to them, and then they created a a crew of people that left class at different different classes every day to meet us in the like big stage area. Mm. Auditorium? Auditorium is what they call it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm here for you. Auditorium. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and they, and so, and we worked with them every day. Same idea. There were so many young people who were with us the whole week. And then we were able to present it to six classes, which was really moving because they weren't necessarily only supportive students in the audience. There were students who were brought there by teachers. And what was incredible to watch was the group we had worked with all week. Again, partly from the GSA and then friends of the GSA, like people who had been kind of convinced to come. Um, They just, through the strength that they summoned throughout the week, they just like gave their truth despite, there were even some students laughing in the audience. And despite any of the audiences, like, and there was a lot of support in the audience, but Mm -hmm. not entirely. They were like, no. This is, we've built this thing and we now feel supported to just give it, just tell you what's happening mm. with us and give you our experience. And to watch that, it was really vulnerable for us because we, you know, we made it happen. Um, and they really showed their true selves. And yeah. also they supported one another. That's really where they got their yeah. strength. Was that, that, that group were able to express themselves, I think, because of the support they had from each one of the members and yeah. as a group. It was beautiful. Yeah, and I mean, and getting back to the issue of, like, again, uh, the demographic that showed up, I just want to ask about, was, was it mostly white kids? I just think it's important. Kingston High? Yeah. Uh-huh. No. So, no, it wasn't. No, it was okay. Very, it was very mixed. Very mixed. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was just thinking about just that question of, you know, just getting back to climate strike and no, no kids from Kingston showing up. I was thinking about asking you, you went to, did you go to, King, you went to Rondout. I went to Kingston. You went to Kingston High School too. Is like what, when, when things like that were happening, did you feel like you had room at the table to, put put yourself out there i just wonder how what has changed and you know and why there might have been no kids that showed up from kingston high i know from um even earlier this year when they did the um they were doing the walkout for the parkland shootings in florida um and and a lot of people were doing the country ride walkout uh kingston high school didn't make it very easy for oh, yeah. the kids to be able to leave. And there were repercussions of them leaving, like punishable offenses, if they left. So I'm wondering if they were put into that same position again this year, like if you do this, this is going to happen. Like it was gonna be a punishable thing or it was gonna go against them, you know, academically yeah. or, you know, an absence or an unwarranted absence. So I, I would be interested to find out what they were up against for not one person to leave yeah for not one person to leave kingston high school i feel like there was something put out like yeah and i just want to say this was an issue at um south high school there was a lot of like it was very unclear yeah it was very unclear the whole week and um we had an amazing conversation with um one of the students at south and she said as a um as a person of color 
when I'm with my friends, they think nothing of doing certain things, and we have to be careful. Yeah. Like, we have different rules, yeah. and they don't yeah. know the rules yeah. that we have to live by. Yeah. Like, and so, I, and I can't be always be explaining to them why I can't do the things that they're going to, like, oh, let's just do it, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. that there might be something in that, too, is that there's a sense of, like, you know, this is not our space to go into, or, like, you know, we're going to get in trouble. Yeah. in a way that you won't get in trouble. Yeah, it's so, so that real. we have to fix. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely. Were you yeah, th- well, I'm just saying, like he said, I was just going to piggyback off of that, that they have enough other things to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. And then just to add one more thing that sometimes they might not think affects them right away. Even when we're talking about yeah, the earth sure, and stuff like sure. that, they're like, you know what? I have bigger fish to fry yeah. mm-hmm. on a daily basis. But what I'm seeing in this, what you guys are doing, um, which I think is totally amazing, is... Uh, something that I didn't have growing up um, being there is that someone is equipping me me with the tools that I need to deal with the issues that I have. Mm. And I'm not just out there flopping like a fish out Mm. of a barrel. Or holding it back. Or or holding it back and and then it coming out in different types of ways because mine was to come out in anger and fighting and all the other stuff because I didn't know how to deal with it and I had no one that was coming to me to say, listen, this is what you could do. Here's some tools to help you get this out and channel it in a positive way. So what you're doing now with this is just amazing for the youth. And I think that lets them be more expressive because it's not just a safe place, but it's a a teaching tool that you're giving them that people forget. Sometimes the things that you have to teach kids, you have to teach Mm. teach them how to deal with emotion. You have to teach them how to deal with different things in their life. And people usually automatically assume that you're going to just get that and you don't. So the fact that you're doing what you're doing with this perfect project and giving them them the tools to be able to channel this in a positive way is just really amazing. And I think that's why you're getting the results that you're getting. And also, you know, we don't teach them anything. I just want to clarify, like, we do, you're, you're right in that we give them the tools. Right. But they know what they're doing. Like, mm-hmm. they, they just don't have enough practice and time to be able to beat that path between their inner self and the outer world. Exactly. Right? They, so we just give them that time to be able to, to do that. They know what to do. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. Yeah. But it's about putting it together. You know, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. having a Given bunch of the, stuff. Creating the space. I, I had a lot of stuff, but I just didn't know how to channel it in the proper way yeah. that's what i mean when yeah. i'm saying the tools that you equip them with to take everything that they have and put it in the proper place and make it explosive yeah. and meaningful is just amazing i think it's, it's really well, well put uh well put because um i just lost my train of thought so uh, we're going there next <laughs> week uh, we're going to uh, kingston high and this year it's a little bit different where we're de- uh, we're going to be uh, working with a, a broader population and with specific um, topics. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. I know I was going to say it's it's good for the kids, which in turn is good for the world because this is the the future, the generation that's going to be we're going to be passing some kind of torch to. Yes. Um, so we're going to uh, talk a little bit more. If you're just joining us again, we are with James Lacine. Uh, Ryan Amador, of course, Jessica McNabb, me, Julie Novak on No One Like You. And we're talking about the Future Perfect Project. Uh, we're going to hear a couple more community announcements. We're going to hear a song. And then we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about um, some of the kids that we got to meet and some of the work they have done, amazing work they have done. Stick around.
Penny, for your thoughts. That was Penny by my son, um, M-I-S-U-N. Another song I heard from uh, The Wig, or Wig, the uh, the movie about Wigstock. It's got some good music there. You got I found me watching so many things. I can't keep up with all the lists of I things you, you keep giving me watch. Um, so last night... Emmys. There were a few actors uh, in their acceptance speeches that address discrimination, still plaguing trans youth. Mm. Uh, Patricia Arquette talked about Alexis Arquette. Um, I got this article, a uh, little headline, little stat from uh, the BBC uh, from June 27, 2019. The number of transgender hate crimes recorded by police forces in England, Scotland, Scotland and Wales has risen by 81%. Data obtained by the BBC showed there were 1,944 crimes across 36 forces in the last financial year compared with 1,073 in 2016. Uh, we worked with some trans folks. Um, I also just want to add that, you know, in this country, um, you know, speaking of hate crimes, there are so far 19 trans women have been killed this year. Um, and uh, I think all of them are women of color. Mm -hmm. And that's just really unacceptable that yeah. that's just going unreported or, you know, it, it's, it doesn't seem to be changing. And in fact, it seems to be getting worse. Epidemic. Because last year, yeah. I think we're, you know, we're only in, what, September. And last year, I think the total was that. Yeah, so. and you and I had spoken because our friend Paula Allen, who does work right on the front lines of the border, talking about trans, I mean, if you're a trans person trying to come over, that's it. As an immigrant. Yeah. As an immigrant. Really I mean, it's work. it's just the violence and, the, I mean, it's, it's, it's awful. It's awful, and which is an understatement um, for black and brown people. And it's also very difficult for a white kid growing up in the Midwest and, um, we had a, a young man named Cor who was with us in our group. And um, so he wrote, did a free write um, that we're going to hear right now and was asked a question um, by James right afterwards. So let's let's hear Cor. Yeah. So you just want to start by tell me your first name, how old you are, okay. and if there's a title. I don't think. Oh, actually, yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm Cor, I'm 17, and this is um, F-Box. A box was checked on the day I was born that determined my self-perception, worth, and esteem for the rest of my life. The nurse marked F, and now I am forced daily to claw my way back from there. Nobody allowed me to experiment with gender and expression. I had to quietly explore my identity with the blanket pulled over my head as my family slept. I've been out as a trans man for almost four years now, so you'd think people would have caught on. You'd be wrong. The cis-normativity we find so deeply ingrained in us all causes me to be glanced at and immediately forced back into the F-box over and over and over again. The constant forgiveness I have to use every day just so I can maintain any relationship is unfathomable to the cis person. My own perception of gender is so ineradicable within me that I misgender myself on a fairly regular basis. I deadname myself or make fun of the person I see in the mirror based on the fact that they have a body like that, but still think they can get away with proclaiming themselves a boy. I have to be constantly aware of every tiny movement, stance, intonation, word, action, everything, trying to make onlookers identify me as male as often as possible. The public perception of gender may be changing, but we do all automatically assign pronouns to people in our heads. 
It is so painful to me to think about the number of times I must get silently misgendered every day. Depending on how much I've gone out on a given day, it could be hundreds. I know there's no escape from this constant judgment and labeling until either I make a complete physical transformation or until the world makes a complete societal transformation. Well done. Thanks. I know we probably asked you this question in the little questionnaire thing, but what is it that you would like people to know? Um, Especially about LGBT people of your generation. I want them to know that we're not oversensitive or like snowflakes or something. We're just trying to be treated with basic decency. And they're so unused to treating LGBT people with the respect that they would other people that demanding respect seems like asking for too much. Beautiful. Thanks. I admire you so much. Really. That was Core um, with some, a really great piece called the F Box, and then just a really simple message to people about what you know, the kind of respect that that uh, people on the on the LGBTQ spectrum want. It's sort, so of, it's sort of what I was saying was that they're so fair. You know, they're they're just they're fa- they just want what's fair. Uh-huh. They're not asking for a lot. Yeah, that's what I was, was going to say. James always says <laughs> that. <laughs> it's just very matter of fact, and it's and it's like they don't have yet all the pretense and armor that they can still reach that sentiment in themselves. Like it's just very matter of fact. Like, well, y- you should be treating me just fairly and like equally and yeah. there why why is there even an argument about this you and know? not just me but yeah, every, but the, you should the, be the treating my brothers and sisters <laughs> yeah, yeah. like that too yeah and and, and my non-binary friends and my, my black best, and brown my bisters yeah. and southers yes yeah. southers <laughs> and bisters um so core got a duoed up with um our friend sasha who now core is i i forgot to say all the ages liam was 15 core is 17 i think 17. 17 and Sasha, maybe 17. 15. 15. Wow. Okay. So they got paired up and they, um, uh, Sasha similarly had dealt with some issues about gender and uh, being somewhat gender fluid and, and having a gender variant name and all these different things and dealing with um, his own uncomfortability with with getting read a certain way or not read a certain way so they um put together a little piece called i'm not your person um which was really cool every time i hear it i've listened to it a few times now and i'm like this is this belongs this is like a little tiny fragment of like a bigger musical and the way they we'll talk about the way they put this together after we hear it so this is i'm not your person with core and sasha whenever you're ready One, two, three. Can I be myself without your words? I should not have to try this hard to be heard. Don't try to define who I am for me. I am not who you want me to be. I don't exist to be shaped by your hands. I'm my own person, I have my own plans. A second person symphony, dissonant and incomplete. 
You won't hear my calls. You won't see me cry. I'm all out of words. This is my final try. Can I be myself without your words? I should not have to try this hard to be heard. Wow, I hadn't was, heard that. Now That's that amazing. I thought was amazing. I wondered for you, Ryan, how much you worked with those two because they came up with this composition that the dissonance and then the harmonies went so perfectly <laughs> with the theme of the song. And I know that they were one of the duos at first that when we did the first presentations, they didn't have music yet. They didn't really have a tune yet. Yeah. So what was it like working with those two? Because when they came downstairs to record with me, I was like, oh, they've got something really <laughs> profound here that they fleshed out. Yeah, they needed more time. So when we ordered... So we all they present all the groups presented to each other, and the next day we had a round of recordings, and we put them last so that they would have more yeah. time to finish it. I honestly didn't help them at all. They kept saying, "We got this, we got this," which honestly is part of what we love doing is the fact that they really got this. Um, like we've learned to be in our flexibility with this project. We've learned that limitations aren't necessarily a bad thing, and I mm -hmm. think. Them, they didn't have any instruments at their disposal, so it, so it turned out to be that, and that's amazing. It was really yeah. amazing, and and I could see it. Like I just, I, I just thought the arrangement of it was so clever too, because I li I was listening to it and I was like, oh, there's places where they're clashing, <laughs> yeah. but that's when they said dissonant. I was like, oh, they're I think they're doing um, a lot of that on purpose because yeah. then when they melded, they were they were on the same frequency, so that was really cool. I w I. I wish I had like I curated it to play certain kids pieces but I I didn't send Nick everything. I feel like maybe I should go we should go into a song and I could, I should upload to him the other pieces so we can hear everyone's because we had let's talk about our do a shout out to our crews. Liam, um Noah, uh, Will, Helena, Anna, Sammy, Lucy. Sarah, Louise, Lucy. Lucy. Um, Noah. Ezra, I think I said Noah, Sasha, uh, Sarah. Yeah, I think I said Sarah. <laughs> they were all just amazing. And so, you know, what we could do is maybe I can get some more of these um, over to to my buddy uh, Nick here. If and we could play a, a some kind of a clean Lizzo song to just yeah. do a shout out to Lizzo, who's going to be at Radio City Music Hall tomorrow night. Eva and I will be in attendance. Wow! And I just want to say while Nick is finding that song. WTF times a billion OMG caps lock on Lizzo tickets were $64 wow oh, that's amazing this is not a good this is the, the the crime they somehow they got bought up in batches I think you have to be like an American Express card or something so they got bought up and the only place we could find them was on StubHub oh. and we paid I'm not going to say the number but it was like a 2000% wow. we were like after we bought them and we were like, all right, let's just, this is a, we have to see this. This is our new queen. Uh, Eva, when we got the tickets in the mail, Eva was like, oh my God. It's rough what's happening out there with the scalping. What do we got, Nick? You got anything for us? All right. Let's listen to Lizzo. And while we're doing that, maybe we'll hear another promo. What the heck? Why not? Um, I'm going to try to get some more work to Nick and uh, so we can hear some more of these amazing voices.
Can you believe they give us two hours a week? What are they thinking? I don't. Oh, oh my God! The red light came <laughs> back oh, on. Oh, we're back on. We're back on. We're so back. we have been having an. I would say an amazing show. Mm-hmm. It uh, has been. Due largely in part to you and I. Well. That was supposed to be funny. They were laughing. And I, no, I was going to say, do largely in part to James Lacine and Ryan Amador, who have joined us today to talk all about the origins and the goings-on with The Future Perfect Project. Go to thefutureperfectproject.com, and you can read and learn more about this amazing organization, which, re- which who recently hired a very talented Incredible. Um, third uh, by the name of yours truly, Julie Nomad, <laughs> right here, coming at you. So we have been... Uh, rocked th- Thank you so much. We've been talking about our experience last week in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which was awesome at South High School. Uh, we have time to just play a few more pieces from some of the kids. Um, but I want to play... I'm just going to play them in order. We've got um, Ezra and Sammy. Ezra, amazing poet. Sammy, amazing piano player. Um, they have a piece here called Gray. Let's hear it. so amazing and I it's one of the reasons I love doing this work so much is that it's so honest you know that what comes through is so sincere mm-hmm. and we're so not used to actually being attuning our ears to actually actually hear people speak sincerely and and with real heart and it just mm-hmm. comes through no matter like no matter what their technical level is or yep. you know no matter what the difficulties of the recording equipment it, it just somehow translates so sweet so sweet mm-hmm. on so many levels we also um you know we've heard some songs we've heard some music uh we had two uh, duos do um spoken word kind of like a slam poetry type of thing which was really powerful we had sarah and louise and we had logan and lucy and we're gonna hear um sarah and louise who got uh put together by ryan who had pieces around identity and um this piece is called name tag it's, it's only, only a matter, matter of time, time until I'm forced to figure out who I am. Until I'm forced to dim myself down. So, so that, that I'm, I'm easier, easier to explain. explain. We have to pick a label and wear it on our sleeve, written in permanent ink. And we can never, ever change it, no matter what people think. This, this name tag, tag is our burden, and we're running out of time to stick it on our chests. I'm Sarah. I'm a woman. 
I'm Louise, and I don't know who I am. And, and we, we have, have more, more than, than enough, enough time. That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. That was Sarah and Louise. Uh, let's talk about th- those two. Well, you know, you asked me before, like, is there a story or something that, you know, that we hear again and again? And I think one of the themes that comes through with everywhere we go is the desire to be taken seriously, but also the request on the part of young people to be allowed to change. Mm. So like, if I say I'm this, this is how I identify, it's not a phase. I am like, I'm in that, this is what I am, take me seriously, but I also need the opportunity to be able to continue to question and change. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard for adults turns out like it's like you got to choose your major you got to figure out what you're going to be doing for a living you got to get on a track and they're like this is the period when they're supposed to be actually learning how the world works and how their heart works and how their bodies work such a good point because one of the students uh that was kind of hesitant to go to climate change was talking about being an ap calculus i think and and he was like but you know that colleges look at that type of thing, and, and that kind of pressure that kids get put mm-hmm. on uh, them. And you know, my niece and nephew live in Chicago, and they were they had to apply to get into their high schools. And there's like a, a formula of certain things that. So it's such a good point that you make that we're supposed to be able to have that freedom. I wish I'd known I had it. I didn't realize I had it, and I, looking back now, I'm like, God, I had so many more options than I ever realized I yeah. did. You know. Well, they 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 need to first allow people to evolve because you're not going to be the same person at 15 that you are at 20 that you are at 25. You're ever evolving if you're growing as a person. And you know, and then anybody else who's listened to me for a few moments know how I feel about labels and 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 boxing people into a certain thing. And I think all that labeling and I know it's important for the visualization and the identity and all that stuff but if we go on the very first instinct that we should have is that a human being is standing in front of you that will eradicate a lot of the confusion (laughs) treat a person as a person and as a human being and then everything else falls into place after that Mm -hmm. and that's where the problem lies already in the beginning because as soon as you start trying to label people that puts separation in and a, a way to separate us and pit us against each other. So if we just take it on that, this is a person standing in front of me and I'm going to take that person, one person at a time, depending on how I interact with them yeah. without any other influence from anybody else, I think that we would be on a much better track and then everything else will fall into place. I mean, and I think that's why visibility is important. Like James, you said it the other day, is that the reason people get scared of, of queer people is because they don't, they don't, they think they don't know us. They don't think that we're human beings like them. And then when we share our story and say, oh, and also, did you know I was gay? And it's like, oh, and I, I love you. So that that must make it okay. You know, it's just, it's, it is. I, I agree. Like, we're all human beings. And there's things that get in the way where people just stop seeing us that way. Well, and, it's a double-edged thing yeah. because no heterosexual has to get up and announce every day <laughs> that they're heterosexual. Oh, yeah. how you doing? My name is so-and-so. And by the way, I'm heterosexual. Yeah. You know, they don't have to yeah. go through that every single day. And to put us through that every single day, it, it should be a choice of ours if we feel like putting that part out. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm saying you just have mm-hmm. to deal with it as a human 
first. Mm-hmm. And then if someone wants to tell you their story after that, then they can. But that shouldn't that shouldn't affect how you talk to them and how you treat them as a human being, whatever their backdrop story is. Yeah, I think that's a really good segue too into this piece I want to play, um, which is another spoken word piece from Lucy and Logan, because it's not only it's there there was the the young women in this room were so in touch with the way that their bodies were looked at as things and property and the objectification and the misogyny in a way that I just never was when I was that age. I just didn't even it didn't even occur to me that it was a systemic thing. I just I just wasn't aware of it. And so this piece is really, really great. The awareness they have about the very young ages in which they first got catcalled and objectified and made to feel totally not seen for for who they were. Three, two. The The first time time I was catcalled, I wasn't even 4'11". The breeze smelled like Minneapolis spring and blue raspberry slushies. The The first first time I was catcalled, I was 15. I've always looked older than I am. It smelled like gasoline and you could feel the whoosh of cars going by. I miss the fourth grade. I miss when I was younger. When I didn't care about what I was wearing. When a cat was only an animal and calling was simply something I did with my friends and family. The The first first time I was catcalled, I had no idea what to do because mom always warned me about men in white vans, but never two adults in a red pickup. Not one man speeding away before I could say anything. Why can't, hey, I lost my dog. Can you help me look for it? Be true. My mom raised me to help others. I just can't help everybody. Not everybody's telling the truth. I don't want... Hey, you better watch out for this guy. He's got his eye on you. Damn, girl. You're looking fine today. To be every girl's elementary school graduation present. I don't get the privilege of being ignorant anymore. Because every man who's following me is following me and not just walking behind me. The first time I was catcalled, I don't remember what I was wearing. I was 13. I was wearing a short dress that showed off my curves. But it shouldn't matter either way. I'm so lucky that that I didn't get hurt. But hey, there's always next time. The first time I was catcalled, I was a child. Wow. And I just want to say, like, these pieces, it's hard hard to imagine, but these pieces were all written independently first. Yeah. So the pieces that we're listening to that are two people coming together, it's two individual pieces of writing working to connect and then deliver their emotional experience together, which mm-hmm. is a challenge, right, to kind of share an emotional experience and agree on what that is with another person. And these two people actually both independently wrote about their experience being cat called, which was not the prompt. It was mm-hmm. it was a way to respond to the prompt. But it was just amazing to watch the two of them come together. Yeah, the first time they did it, because they did it once in kind of a practice, I just cried. Like, it just... The, the first time I was cat called, I was a child. Like, it's just the way they delivered it mm-hmm. and the passion and the reality of, like, how effed up it is. Yeah. It was so strong. I mean... All the pieces were so strong. Um, that one in particular, when they first delivered it, I was like, I can't believe that they just put this together. And yeah. some of them didn't. I mean, we were with them what two hours a day or so, and yeah. like they didn't get a chance to meet outside of that. And Helena and Anna, let's play this last piece.
really just just brought it brought it home. So we are coming to the end. Oh, of our, man, of we our could go on with this and for another know. few hours. And um, James, you wanted to? I wanted to play a clip from Ubaka Hill, but I think I it's it's a little too long. How long yeah. is that clip, Nick? It's five yeah. minutes. Um, it really won't do it I justice. Think, yeah, I oh, think, you know, you shouldn't give her time to that speech that she gave the well, other night. Yeah. Wow. We could. I know. What? Do we have time to just plop it on them? But then we won't have time no, play, to tell it. Okay. So it's this a good, is it's a good way to, to end. round out round out what we talked about today. Um, thank you to Ryan and James. This is Ubaka Hill with her acceptance speech from the Voices in Action uh, uh, gala the other night and talking about the kids being the future. Let's listen to them. Let's listen to them. As a 17-year-old in the mid 70s. It was with music and poetry that my voice became stronger, clearer, and louder. Through art, I expressed my concerns, my observations, and solutions to injustice and inequality. I personally experienced outright disrespect, and I know of the deaths and imprisonments of those who did not conform to corporate political ideology that doesn't serve the highest good, the needs of the majority, or of those economically struggling. We the people, we have been fighting for dignity and peace for a very long time. Tonight, you and I and many people around the world are still working very hard for some of the same human rights struggles of the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and today into the 2000s. You get that point? We've even added a few more issues, like climate change and climate justice. And yes, we have moved the needle forward to achieving great milestones of our human rights, equal rights, and justice. Now, I am 63. I am clear that my life, my skills, my knowledge and wisdom belongs to the future, to the young people who are becoming of age today, who are woke and are waking up. Young people are, the, are a great influence, are the great influencers of today, and some will become great leaders of tomorrow. I say to young people, young artists, Archivist, activist, never be afraid to speak up. Show up. Share your thoughts, ideas, and vision, and use your energy for creative solutions for today's issues and the concerns that you are faced with. Silence nor fear is a superpower. Your compassionate voice and your actions are your superpowers. 
Your voices do matter, and you will have a positive impact on your own timeline and for tomorrow's children. My someday is your today. And every day, together, we are moving humanity another step forward. We can turn fear into power, use our creativity to influence the hearts and the minds of thought leaders, influencers, organizations, businesses, local and elected officials. Use nonviolent creative self-expression to direct the narrative, to set forth a vision and a plan for a healthy environment, mind, body, and community for all of our relations. I end with a, co a quote from the late Audre Lorde that has inspired me and helped me to maintain my focus and momentum as an artist in service to humanity. When I dare to be powerful, to use my strengths in the service of my vision, then it becomes less and less important whether I am afraid. <laughs>